Welcome to the third episode in this series on Applied Cultural Evolution. My name is Joe Brewer, and I am the founder and executive director of the Center for Applied Cultural Evolution. Today's topic is one that touches us all. The topic we're going to discuss is the various kinds of trauma, anxiety, and stress that arise while living in the modern world. In the context of evolution, the name for this kind of outcome is called an evolutionary mismatch. A mismatch arises when there was some kind of adaptation that was beneficial to an organism or a species in the past that when the environment changes, that adaptation becomes maladaptive or pathological. A very well-known example that's easy to understand for humans is that in our ancestral past, we didn't have easy access to refined sugars. Really, the only way we could get really sweet foods was by collecting berries or with a great deal of work and effort collecting honey from honeybees. So in the modern world, as we developed the technological abilities to refine and process sugars and release them onto the marketplace, there has grown an epidemic of type 2 diabetes, obesity, and other forms of chronic stress on the body as people have a very difficult time living healthy lives and having healthy diets in a world with easy access to refined sugars. So this idea of an evolutionary mismatch comes up in situations where something that was beneficial in the past is no longer beneficial in the present because the environment has changed. Well, if you listened to the second episode in this series, you'll have a sense that The world has changed dramatically for humans in the time between our ancestral past as we became a species somewhere between 100,000 and 500,000 years ago and the profound exponential pace of change in the modern world that builds upon several thousand years of change in the time since the invention of agriculture. So what I want to talk about now is how this idea of evolutionary mismatch can help us make sense of a wide variety of problems in the modern world that seem normal to us. But if we step back and look at our long history as human beings, they're anything but normal. One thing that plagues people in the Western world and is becoming increasingly problematic is our sense of isolation and aloneness. The ways that we who live in societies that are very individualistic lack the community supports that people in hunter-gatherer societies would be be able to take for granted. And many more community-oriented cultures around the world don't suffer from the same ailments. So when we think about things like chronic depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, attention deficit disorder, 
and other kinds of psychological problems, it's very important for us to step back and ask very basic questions about how the human mind and human social history evolved, what kinds of adaptations enabled our ancestors to thrive in the social settings they lived in, and how the changing social environments that can be explained as part of the modern world create conditions that lead to pathology. One thing that's very fundamental for human beings is the incredible extent to which we are social. And we are social in qualitative and quantitatively different ways than other animals. There's lots of social behavior to be found in ants and termites and other kinds of insects, also to be found in schools of fish and flocks of birds, herds of different kinds of herding animals like horses or zebras or cattle. So there's no shortage of social behavior in the non-human world. But humans do something profound in the way that we develop things like our sense of self and identity with conceptual thickness and richness arising through a kind of process of enculturation. So I, as a person, can have multiple roles and functional identities. For me personally, I'm both a father and a husband. Sometimes I'm a co-worker or a peer. Other times I'm an author. Additional times I may be someone who is reading the authorship of others. My functional relationship to my social environment and the information around me can shift which roles and identities are expressed through my mind and through my behavior. This ability to be so flexible and so diverse in the expression of identity is part of the great richness of human culture, enabling us to create the great art of theatrical plays and the modern expression of them as cinematic features and movies, and also gives us the incredible ability to develop empathy by taking different perspectives, experiencing them in our lives, and coming to relate to ourselves and others in ways that would be scarcely imaginable without the cognitive abilities that human beings have. Unfortunately, with all of this sophistication comes vulnerability. If we live in environments that fail to nurture our abilities to care for ourselves and to be cared for by others, then pathology may ensue. Thought of through this lens, we can begin to see how mental illness, in many of its modern expressions, may be forms of evolutionary mismatch. What this suggests is that the way to deal with this variety of mental ills is to begin to step back and deconstruct our social worlds. Then consider what has changed in the way our social, social worlds exist today as compared to our social worlds of the past. And from this, there's an opportunity to engage in purposeful and mindful design. Design, in its simplest and broadest definition, is nothing more than the application of knowledge and tools to solve a, prop a problem with purpose. 
where we have something we're trying to achieve, so we systematically look for ways to achieve it. What this tells us is that we can do design work on culture. We can explore how our social environments might be altered through mindful and purposeful use of tools and knowledge to help support the healthy growth and development of people. Conversely, when we can see widespread mental anguish and the increasing uh, development of things like violent and aggressive behavior or the rise of depression and suicide, that these social ills are also problems of the lack of good design. That had we designed our communities more purposefully in this rapidly changing world, such elements would not be so widespread and commonplace. And the evolutionary mismatch perspective can be very helpful in clarifying the specific mechanisms and contextual factors that lead to pathology. To understand why this is possible, I need to step back and define more clearly what an adaptation is in evolutionary terms. It has a very specific meaning that is often not fully appreciated when we use words like adapt in our daily lives. So if I say something like, I've had to adapt to life as it's changed since my mother passed away. What we're saying is that there was a need to move into a changed future and find new ways to be. In evolutionary terms, adaptation does not work in this way. It's not a forward orientation toward a problem that doesn't yet exist. Instead, an adaptation is defined as something that already existed in the past. And due to changing circumstances, it became selected upon to be retained as something that exists in the present because it served a functional benefit. So, what this means in relation to evolutionary mismatch is that adaptations are functional capabilities or behaviors, structures of our bodies or our brains, for example, that arose sometime in our past. And as the environment changed, they proved to be beneficial, and so they remained. And then they were passed on from generation to generation up to the present day. The thing that makes these adaptations so interesting in relationship to evolutionary mismatch is that oftentimes something that was beneficial in the past, retained as the environment changed, can begin to contribute to relationships with other adaptations and very complex relationships to create perverse incentives or maladaptive responses as the environment changes again. So an evolutionary mismatch can be analyzed by looking for adaptations, understanding how they functionally fit to the ancestral environment, then consider what parts of the environment changed from that ancestral environment and how the functional capabilities of that adaptation changed as well. This gives us incredible analytic and explanatory power to change 
our situations using design to address pathologies that exist today. But great care is needed to ensure that we understand what was the adaptation? How did it function? What was the ancestral environment like? Specifically, how has the environment changed? And what did this do to the functional roles of that adaptation? I took the time to explain adaptation in a bit more detail because I want to be very clear that as we talk about applying insights from cultural evolution, it's not simply that it's yet another way to describe an issue or a problem, like it's just one more framing of mental illness in the modern world. What I'm suggesting is much more powerful than that. What I'm suggesting is that by using the tools of evolution, we bring to bear on these problems very, very powerful analytic and interpretive tools for understanding and addressing these problems. And in some cases, there will be new possibilities for addressing old problems using these tools because the tools themselves have particular strengths that other tools lack. At the same time, we should acknowledge that many powerful tools for dealing with mental illness and other public health issues in our modern world are quite powerful, and I'm not meaning to say that they're to be replaced or inferior. Instead, what I'm suggesting, as I explored in greater length through the second episode of this series, is that there is a possibility of integrating and synthesizing knowledge across many different domains, such that it becomes possible to understand systemic cause and effect. When we understand the behaviors of entire systems, as well as the functional relationships and feedbacks within them, we can be much more powerful in the design of interventions. Also, we can be much more effective at understanding what those interventions actually do so that our skill at guiding social change increases. So by bringing into the discussion the tools of evolutionary analysis, we are able to draw from a rich history for over 150 years in the biological sciences very powerful tools that can be retrofitted and applied, if they're appropriately altered in how they're applied, to cultural settings. Ponder another example. When a group of people would come together to hunt a piece of, uh, hunt a large animal, like a mastodon or an elephant, it was essential that they brought together tools and strategies for coordination and various aptitudes for communication. This tremendous uh, combination of adaptations in our ancestral histories gave us the ability to cooperatively hunt. When we worked well in groups, and develop technologies and tools to help us do this more effectively, our species thrived. Yet in the modern world, 
Another expression of this exact set of adaptations is the engagement in acts of war. But what happens when we enter a situation where there's warfare between two competing human groups and the technologies that they use include in their arsenal the existence of machine guns, of ballistic missiles, of warships and aircraft carriers, or nuclear weapons. In such a situation, the evolutionary mismatch comes about in the capacities for damage and unintended harm, or, more insidiously, intended harm, through the use of these technologies that have made a behavior that might have been adaptive in cooperative hunting or in other kinds of intertribal conflict can make them very maladaptive in the modern world. So the entire nuclear disarmament movement and global peace movement can be thought of as an attempt to address a sweeping array of evolutionary mismatches that arose through the dangers of power unleashed by modern technology that may not have been intended as it was developed. So I share this with you to think that, to stir your thinking, that the idea of evolutionary mismatch can be powerfully applied at many levels of analysis. So already I have described two settings. One is the setting of the development of the individual person and the mental pathologies that arise if their social environments are not nurturing to developing individual people. Then I described a second situation where the introduction of powerful technologies like the weaponry of modern warfare alters the group level dynamics of humans as they cooperate and compete with each other at tribal and more recently larger than tribal scales. Consider the great power of these mismatches to do harm. And then recognize that there is a silver lining, that in this great power to do harm resides simultaneously the great power to do purposeful good. As we understand the evolutionary mismatches and the adaptations that have become pathological and assess them in the rigorous and systematic ways that I've described here, it becomes possible for us to heal them and manage them with love, compassion, and wisdom, while also being effective at doing so. So this is an important area of cultural evolution research with tremendous potential to be beneficial to the future of humanity and life on Earth. I leave you with this to ponder. Thank you, and have a good day.